Good morning to each of you, and greetings in the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus our Lord. The last time that I brought a message here, I looked at chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2 in 1 John, and some of the aspects of things that John was, was bringing forward of of the combating the the heresy of his day and that of Gnosticism, Jesus was God's Son that came in the flesh, and and along with that, he calls us to live holy lives. I'd like to pick up reading here in in First John chapter two, and we we'll read verses seven to eleven. To begin with here, it says, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye had, which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Darkness. Light. It's a reiteration of some thoughts in chapter 1 that God is light. And if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with God and with each other. But this darkness is blinding. It's deceptive. Could we say that darkness is a little bit like having your eyes closed? You know, children that are here, if they could pay attention, if you go out and it's dark, well, some of us have been in a cave way down below the surface of the ground. And if there's no candle, no flashlight, it's dark. It's really dark. You know, if I close my eyes now, it's a lot the same. There's maybe some, I can tell that there's light, but I really, I can't see anything. And it's a lot like that darkness in a cave. How wise is it for me to close my eyes and start walking? What am I going to do? I'm not sure where everything is. It's dark. It says here that if you hate someone, even though you think you're walking in the light, you're walking with your eyes closed. You're walking in darkness. Your eyes are blinded. I'd like to think a little bit about what it means to love someone. Think with me, if you were invited to someone's house, especially a, think of a child, a family, but this is from a child's perspective. If you were invited to someone's house and you looked forward to going, you were anticipating this, this fun time with some friends. But when you got there, one of the family met you at the van door and instead of a cheery welcome, 
The first words were words of warning and commands about what not to do. Don't talk loud. You might scare the dog. Uh, Don't walk over in the grass because we like it to look just right. And you might leave footprints in it. Uh, Don't touch the doorknob. I'll get it for you. You might leave germs on it that could make somebody sick. Uh, You can't play with any of the toys that are here because you might break one. Would you feel very welcome, very loved? Who would this host, this person that invited you and met you, who would they be thinking of? Who would they be trying to, to take care of? Anybody have a guess? Themselves, their things. I had to think of the song J-O-Y. Because I think that's a true demonstration of love that brings joy. That song says, Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. You know, how about if you got there and the person met you and says, welcome to our place. Do you like dogs? Would you like to pet our dog? And if you don't, that's fine, but he's really friendly. Come on inside. Now, which of the toys would you like to play with? Is there anything that you would like to, to, you see here that you would like to do? A person that thinks of someone else. That's a true expression of love. You know, the essence of love is desiring the best for someone else. Desiring their good. And sometimes we don't quite understand all that either. I can probably conjure up a recollection of a time when I was a child being disciplined and being told that it was because my parents loved me. And if I can't conjure it up there, I know I've told it to my children. And it may be kind of a contradiction. Well, how does someone inflict pain or trouble if they love me? But it's because the parent desires the best for the child. What is love? Well, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy what other people have or be proud and brag about what I have. Love doesn't show off to get other people's attention. Love is also not rude, but but kind. Love lets others choose first and is willing to give in when maybe somebody else's idea is chosen. Love doesn't get angry. And love always does what is right. Let's sing that song, J-O-Y, because that is a demonstration of love that does bring joy. J-O-Y, J-O-Y, this must surely be. Jesus Christ, yourself last, and others in between. J-O-Y, J-O-Y, this must surely be. Jesus Christ, yourself last, and others in between. That shows love. In 1 John 3, verse 11, 
It says, for this is the message that she heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. In John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment, a new commandment, Jesus said, I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. As we read here in, in 1 John 2, it says that he's, he's not writing a new commandment, but an old commandment. And then he proceeds to say, but I am writing a new commandment. And I'm not sure exactly what all that means, but I would understand that the old commandment is the, the oldest, the, the commandment when Jesus was questioned, what is the great commandment? And he says to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the commandment. And we are told numerous places that these two commandments sum up all of the law. Everything that God requires or expects to love him first with all of our being and to love our neighbor as ourself. And I wasn't quite sure for some time what it means by this a new commandment I give unto you that Jesus said there in John 13. And I don't know that I have it figured out, but there's an aspect of what he says there that is powerful. Because he says that ye love one another as I have loved you. And that, that fits with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount where he says, ye have heard that it hath been said, here's the level of expectation of the law. But I say unto you, and he raises the bar to a little bit higher standard. It's easy for me to love myself. It's not even too hard, maybe, to love you as I love me. But to love you as Christ loved you, as Christ loved me. If you jump ahead in chapter 3 of 1 John, verse 16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. This is a reoccurring theme in John's writings, that of love, loving each other. It's kind of hard to actually study 1 John because he says about three things about five times each. And you go through and, well, there's, there's the outline. And you go to the, another chapter and there it is again. And another chapter, there it is again. But this theme of love, God's love being the, the standard, the bar, by which we are to measure our love, our love for each other. There's three different themes that I, that I see here in, in the, what we're going to be looking at this morning, have looked at, and kind of in, in 1 John. And I just have the three words, believe, love, and abide. Those are our actions, they're verbs. Believe, love, and abide. And you could think of nouns that go along with that. That of faith, action, and standing. Just keep those in your mind. Believe, love, and abide. 
I'd like to read now in, in chapter 2, continuing where we left off. In verse 12, he says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. And I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. All of us can take this message to heart, the truth that he is writing. Continue in verse 15. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Here he tells us what not to love. The whole world system that is in opposition to the Father. And there's a lot that we can look at there, perhaps, but the desires of the world system. John Wesley had this to say about these verses. It says, The desire of the flesh, of the pleasure, of the outward senses, whether of the taste, smell, or touch, the desire of the eye, of the pleasures of imagination, to which the eye chiefly is subservient, of that internal sense by whereby we relish whatever is grand, new, or beautiful, and the pride of life, all that pomp in clothes, houses, furniture, equipage, manner of living, which generally procure honor from the bulk of mankind, and so gratify pride and vanity. It therefore directly includes the desire of praise and remotely covetousness. All these desires are not from God, from the prince of this world. Similarly to most every sin stemming from pride. So I've thought about that. That was the initial problem that Satan conformed to was that idea of pride. I will lift up myself. And as we follow that down, almost every sin that we can think of is something that I justify myself because I need, I want, I should have. I deserve. And that's kind of what these verses bring out. That all these things that are of the world, they are self-gratifying. They are self-serving, self-pleasing. The world system. Be careful. If we focus on things, we're going to miss the people. Continuing in verse 18, it says, Little children, it is the last time. As ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be manifest that they were not of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know the truth, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, 
that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. In that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him. When he shall appear, we may have confidence, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that every one that doeth righteousness is born of him. Here we are warned against the seduction of those that deny Christ as being the Son of God. That goes back to this Gnostic heresy. But this threat of heresy wasn't just from some pagan ideology out there somewhere. It was from people that had been seemingly one with them. Those who had had seemed to be part of the church but had gone out. And we're now denying Christ, denying that he was the son of God, denying that he came in the flesh. Verse 20 is a, is a comforting truth. It says, we have an unction or an anointing. It's only used, this, this Greek word is only used here in John three times. And it is, it is that special pouring out of the touch of the Holy Spirit. And if we have been born again, we have the Holy Spirit in us. And we don't need to run after the newest theological fad, the next charismatic teacher. We need to abide. Abide in Christ and let his word abide in us. Verse 24 let that therefore abide in you that ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard remain in you, ye shall continue in the Son and in the Father. You know, abiding in Christ is so much more than just having right doctrine or right practice. It is a true faith that practices right doctrine. I can have perfect belief and be lost. I can look just right and be lost. But if I have true faith, believing, John comes back to that over and over. Believe in the name of the Son of God. Believe and then do. Faith that practices the commandments, the doctrine, the teaching. A settled peace and assurance in the truth. Abide. I don't know that word, whether it's, I don't know totally why it is, but the word abide just brings that sense of, of security, of rest, that peace that Jesus said he would leave with us. Abide. John also talked about abiding in, in John 15. 
abiding in the vine, a connection from which flows that sustenance and hope. But here we are told that those there are those that will seduce us. And I have a question for you. Who has been trying to seduce you? What have you heard or seen that is contrary to the gospel that you have had to contend with? Anything in the last weeks, months? Have you been confronted with heresy? With ideas that the world is pressing that you have to go back and say, no, this is, this is evil. This is Satan's strategy. That's a question I'd like, I'd like to take time and, and talk about because I don't think at times we really understand the pressures, the things that we open ourselves up to or as we just live in the world that, that press us. It could be the media and the ideas of, of what our culture is pushing Where do you go for answers? Years ago, I remember being on a job, working with a crew, and we were doing some hardscaping around a house, half done. The house was, was more, a little more than half done, but they had their speaker system hooked up, and they were serenading us with music of their choice, the, the homeowner. And... I remember the song that was played. I loved you yesterday, but yesterday's gone. That song played over and over and over. Do you remember me talking about that? The barrage of an idea can impact our minds in ways that we have no idea when you hear it over and over and over and over. And I, I just remember that and thinking, I know that's false. I know that's the wrong, that's not love. Love doesn't love today and not love tomorrow. Or love yesterday and not love today. But you know, you listen to that long enough and you start going, hmm, maybe it's okay. Maybe it's okay to walk away from my girlfriend. Maybe it's okay to walk away from my wife. You know, love us. I loved you yesterday, but it's gone. That seductive power of Satan putting philosophy and ideas in front of us. Right now, there's the tremendous push in our culture to call evil good. The moral depravity is astounding. Has it affected us? To where we don't quite think it's as bad as what God says it is. Seduce doesn't have the idea of a very plain uh, confrontation. It has the idea of a little bit at a time. Well, doesn't it look that is it really as bad? Is it really what you thought? Well, we all like ourselves. We all think that we should have what we want. And so 
if this person just wants what they want, well, then it's okay because I want what I want, right? Believe, love, and abide. But the anointing, verse 27, which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things and is truth, and it is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. We need to go back to the scriptures. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to cleanse our hearts and minds. And in verse 29, it says, If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. One's life expression is a testament to reality. In Gnosticism, denied the physical existence of Christ, but it also stated that the flesh was evil and only the spirit was capable of good. John says, no. Your spirit will live out in the flesh what is good. He that is righteous, if ye know that he, if ye, excuse me, if ye know that he is righteous, Jesus was righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Continuing chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. But ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doth not, doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. You see, we're right back to where we started. Love one another. It's the true expression of walking in the light. But here we see in the beginning of, of chapter 3 that we cannot expect the world to understand and laud us some might at times, some people. Some people accepted Christ and some had him crucified. But as we consider the overwhelming truth that God has called us to be his children and he desires us to imitate him, to be like him, it compels us to a life of holiness. What is holiness? It says here that 
Every man will purify himself even as he is pure. I believe the word holy is the idea of set apart. Set apart from what? Well, we read in verses 15 to 17 that there were desires and values of the world system. We are to be in the world and not of the world. What does that look like? What does purifying ourselves look like? My heart is burdened when I see the many, many facets of the world that have come into the lives of people that claim the name of Christ. And it can happen to any of us. Last night, I was at the, took Eric to the youth volleyball game that was happening following the graduation. And just observing, I was out in the vehicle for a while, meditating and observing people that came and went, thinking. I went inside and was listening to some conversations and Thinking. I don't like to preach about things that are too practical when I don't have a back of thus saith. I'm sorry, forgive me. Bear with me. But when you can hear the crotch rockets coming from two miles away, what message are we sending? What values do we hold? Modesty or I want to be seen? Maybe I assume motives of people that I shouldn't, but the world assigns motives to dress, to vehicles, to music, to everything. When we talk about the music we listen to and it's contemporary Christian music that is just slightly altered godless music tempered with some Christian lyrics. Is that purifying oneself? Is it okay to listen to music, but well, we wouldn't go watch them perform. Someone had had written on somewhere the music that they liked to listen to, and it was someone that I I would say I thought well of. I went and saw a little bit of what they were watching, and I cringed because it looked demonic. But the words were okay, but the purple lights, the vapors curling, the 
the moves. It was, it was godless in appearance if you couldn't hear the words. Are these the values, the things that, that God really wants for us? Do we, is there a line between holy and unholy? Are we set apart? Are we seduced? There's not real easy answers to some of these things, but we have to be, we have to think about, we have to consider. We can't just let life happen. Christ lived a perfect life, a life in perfect harmony with the law. But part of his purpose for coming is that we also would live a set apart life. In verse five, excuse me. Says, and ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him is no sin. He lived perfectly. In verse six, whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. The test of abiding is the life lived. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. The world won't tell you that. All you need to do is believe. And that is true. Believe. That's number one. Believe in the name of the Son of God. The third of those three was abide. The question could be, if I commit a sin, does that mean that I am not abiding in Christ? There's words here that have an ending. There's commit and there's committeth. My understanding is that commit is an action. Committeth is an ongoing way of life. The eth is that continual, ongoing state of being. Because if you go back to chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, I write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate. There are times that we commit sin. That's understood as fallen creatures. And by the grace of God, we don't continue in that sin. So if we commit sin, we use our, our advocate, we confess, we repent. But if we commit sin ongoing, he that committeth sin, eth, ongoing, is of the devil. There are those that declare that nothing can undo one's declared standing in Christ. But this passage makes it clear that one's true spiritual genetics will be evidenced. What is sown in your heart? What has been planted in your heart? In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Children. Children. That's offspring. 
That's the result of planting, the result of a seed. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. There's two options. The fruit of seed planted will either bear indication of the devil or the father. And we see here in verse 14 that love is the hallmark of God's children. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. I'd like to read yet verses 16 to 18. It says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. God proved his love for us by his actions. It says here that that's how we perceive the love of God, that he gave himself. He laid down his life. What are you doing to prove your love? We ought to lay down our lives, it says, yet it can be hard even to share physical blessings. It says if we see a brother that has need and we, we shut up our bowels of compassion, we, we harden our... No, you might have need, but I need what I have. How dwelleth the love of God? Love is so much more than a declaration. It's a way of life. It's a result of that abiding. Believe. Don't be seduced into denying Christ. I don't think any of us are close to that. I hope not. The second thing we're called to do is to love. To love each other. To give. To lay down our lives. We're called to abide in Christ. To rest in Him. To draw strength. to draw that Spirit's anointing, that unction, that we can understand the truth, that we can stand up to the deception that would come our way. My prayer is that we would grow stronger in our belief, more, more active in our love, and more steadfast in our body.